people believe that saving one's soul, one's neshama, is the ultimate goal. And the Jewish tradition doesn't say that. The ultimate goal is to save your bodily existence in this world. And after that, we can speak about keeping mitzvot, yes or no. So if you have to make a choice between the two, it is very clear what the halacha says. Your body goes beyond or in front of, let's say, the commandments and of your soul. And that is where I think is the, the major issue here. And I have been speaking with Haredim about that. And that seems what they are saying. And I understand that, but it is completely wrong. Saving your soul is a Christian concept. It's not a Jewish concept. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. A few weeks ago, we witnessed a serious violation of coronavirus protocols when two funerals took place in the Israeli ultra-Orthodox community, attended by thousands of people, many of whom did not wear masks. At the time, on the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook, I pointed out how disturbing this is. On the other hand, blaming the entire ultra-Orthodox world for the actions of a subset is very wrong and unfair, and claiming that the Haredi world somehow bears unique blame when the Tel Aviv beaches are often full and protests against the government continue, often without any concern for protocols, seems equally problematic. Some people also complain that preaching to the choir, as I was doing, accomplishes nothing, and I certainly hear the validity of all those arguments. But it's also true that we can't ignore the verifiable fact that a significantly greater percentage of Haredi Jews have contracted the coronavirus than the Israeli national average. This can be somewhat attributed to the population density and small apartments that are part and parcel of many ultra-Orthodox communities. But that's a partial, not a complete explanation. We cannot deny that many of our Haredi brothers and sisters have not followed the restrictions as carefully as have some others. And we can't avoid discussing it. Apart from the halachic principle of kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh, all Jews bear mutual responsibility, the nature of viral transmission makes this halachic mutuality scientifically and medically real as well. Let's face the facts. It's almost inevitable that someone actually caught the virus at one of those funerals. And it's almost inevitable that it was then spread further. And as a result, it's very likely that there are people now who are very sick and perhaps dead. And those funerals were not outliers, but are representative of what happens too often in parts of the Haredi world. In order to discuss these issues, I spoke with Rabbi Nathan Lopez Cardozo, the founder and dean of the David Cardozo Academy and the Beit Midrash of Avraham Avinu in Jerusalem. The reason I reached out to him specifically was because he released an open letter to Harav Chaim Kanievsky Shlita, who is widely regarded as the spiritual leader of much of the Israeli Haredi world. The letter was a frank and pained request that he and other Haredi rabbis do more to address the unacceptable ignoring of protocols among some members of ultra-Orthodox society. You can find a link to the letter in the notes of this podcast. Before we get to the interview, let me first remind you to please subscribe to the Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. 
And finally, please consider becoming a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, JCH merch, and more. A sought-after lecturer on the international stage for both Jewish and non-Jewish audiences, Rabbi Nathan Lopez Cardozo is the author of 13 books and many articles in both English and Hebrew. He heads a think tank focused on finding new halachic and philosophical approaches to dealing with the crisis of religion and identity among Jews and the Jewish state of Israel. Hailing from the Netherlands, Rabbi Cardozo is known for his original and often fearlessly controversial insights into Judaism. Rabbi Cardozo, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum. Much appreciated that you uh, invite me to be part of this. I want to ask you about an article you wrote in the Times of Israel, as well as an open letter which you wrote to Harav Chaim Kanievsky Shlita. I want to ask you bluntly, assuming he actually asked you for advice, perhaps you can summarize and tell him what would you want him or the Haredi leadership in general to do? I think I would tell him or ask him better, that he must realize that we have a mission in this world as Orthodox Jews to behave on the highest level of morality and ethics and according to the laws of the Torah and the Halakha. And that our mission is to make the world aware of this and therefore that we should behave beyond all, let's say, conditions which normally are laid on man and make sure that people get inspired by us, that people will do the right thing and people will look after their lives because life is so incredibly holy beyond our imagination and that he, as the leader of the Orthodox community, at least a good part of the Orthodox community, plays an enormous role, which perhaps he does not even know himself. And that therefore he should be aware that millions of people will hear what he says, Jews and non-Jews, and that he is seen as the perhaps greatest Torah personality of these days. And therefore we must hear from him very clear moral statements, advice, opportunities to make it clear to the world that that is what all of us Jews and Gentiles should do. Well, Cardoza, that actually raises an important point because the Haredi population, speaking broadly, of course, prides itself on adherence to halacha, to Jewish law, and no one doubts no one with any understanding of Jewish law doubts that saving life, bikuach nefesh, being careful about one's health, is a paramount concern within Jewish law. For example, the idea that a Hasidic Rebbe, for example, would not tell somebody who's sick that they shouldn't be fasting, that they would insist on fasting on Yom Kippur even though they're sick, we would never hear that. That wouldn't happen. And yet, Despite the fact that we all know how important following the medical community's recommendations, following protocols for the sake of health are, why is it in that case that it's being roundly ignored? Why is it that we need to tell somebody like Rav Kanievsky, please speak out? Why doesn't everybody know this? That's an excellent question. And I've been thinking a lot about it. And I tell you what I think. 
I can't say for sure I'm right about this because I never spoke this over with Rav Kanievsky. But what I believe is that there is a fundamental mistake being made within a part of the Haredi community. Let us not forget that a good part of the Haredi community does behave properly and does all the things which the government requires to save life. But there is a large segment which does not do so. I think that the ideology behind it is perhaps deeper than we are aware of, however much we disagree, that they believe that keeping the commandments, observing the commandments is the ultimate goal of Jews, and perhaps to a certain extent of the Gentile world as well, to, as far as it, uh, it is of importance to them and uh, belongs their, to their world. And that therefore one needs to give up one's life for these very mitzvot, for, for these very commandments, including something like Talmud Torah, the learning of Torah. This is the ultimate goal. That's why we are here. That's the way how I think they are thinking, how they see this world. And what happens is, is that therefore they consider something like Talmud Torah as the greatest commandment and are prepared to give their lives for that. And what we would respond is that's not true. That's not what the Jewish tradition is teaching us. You may think like that and we even understand this, but the greatest mitzvah in this world is not keeping the commandments, but the greatest mitzvah in this world is to stay alive that life is so holy that there is nothing beyond that. And therefore, when there is a tension and there are problems and there are paradoxes between the meaning or better, the very kudushah, the very uh, holiness of life on one side and the keeping of the commandments, the observing of the commandments, then life goes first. Only after you have made sure that you stay alive, then the second commandment is to observe all the other commandments. But what they seem to do is the reverse. They say, no, no, what is the point of living a life if we can't keep the commandments? And therefore we are prepared to uh, basically uh, risk our lives for that. But there is nothing in the halakha, and that's interesting in itself, which ever says this. Life seems to be so holy in the eyes of God that even in case my whole life, I would not have an opportunity to keep any mitzvah for whatever reason, I will still have to go for life, never keep one mitzvah, perhaps with the exception of the three mitzvot, as you know, uh, when we have to give up our lives, like uh, murder, like sexual behavior, like avodazara, like idol worship. But for all the other mitzvot, we know very clearly that life goes first. And what happens in the mentality of the Haredi world is, and that's perhaps also part of their education is, no, what is the point of living a life which is meaningless because I cannot keep the commandments. I am not able to observe the commandments. So what do you get? You get a paradox here the other way around than what the halakha actually demands from us and requires from us. And saying it a little different perhaps, what, I believe personally that the idea behind this is that people believe that saving one's soul 
wants neshama is the ultimate goal. And the Jewish tradition doesn't say that. The ultimate goal is to save your bodily existence in this world. And after that, we can speak about keeping mitzvot, yes or no. So if you have to make a choice between the two, it is very clear what the halacha says. Your body goes beyond or in front of, let's say, the commandments and of your soul. And that is where I think is the, the major issue here. And I have been speaking with Haredim about that. And that seems what they are saying. And I understand that, but it is completely wrong. But I don't really understand that because the problem is that it's not really a dichotomy like that. It's not really a paradoxical choice where they're forced to say, I can either follow Corona guidelines or I can follow mitzvot. Perhaps one can follow mitzvot not the way they want, but no one's saying they can't learn Gemara at home or with the Chavruta as long as there's distancing. That's not on the table. The problem is that it won't be as easy, perhaps, but it's not really an either-or situation. That doesn't explain why they would be going to weddings and funerals and the like, which are not even such major mitzvot in the scheme of things. This is not talking about you can't really be Jewish while keeping the coronavirus guidelines. This means you will have to do things a little bit differently than you're used to, but you can still do everything. Yeah, you're right. Obviously, I agree fully with that. But I think, again, the mentality is a little different. They believe, or at least part of this uh, world believes, that if we give up on uh, yeshivot, on uh, chatunot, on uh, having big gatherings, or for that reason, funerals, which we just had, then we undermine by that the social pressure and a very social condition under which we can stay from, we can stay religious. So if that falls apart, what will happen? Many of our children will walk out, they go, go off the derech, as we say in Hebrew, right? And they become secular. And that is much worse than dying. Because how are you going to die when you have not kept the commandments or you have not been believe, living a religious life? That's not the way how you should, how you should live your lives. And therefore, they claim indirectly that doing the things you just mentioned are part of this either or condition. Obviously, we know it is not true. And many of them do know that it is not true. But I think what I hear in that community, I'm in contact with that community, is that more or less that is what they are thinking. Save my soul by all means and all the, under all circumstances. And what I'm saying is is that this is basically a Christian idea. Saving your soul is a Christian concept. It's not a Jewish concept. If somebody would keep all the commandments, but he is risking his life in the meantime, and after 120 years, he goes to Olamaba, he may think that he will get scar over that, that he will get rewarded over there, and they will probably tell him, sir, you got it all wrong. You should have looked after your body, after your life. That is the most holy thing you have, far beyond the mitzvot. And that point, it seems they do not get. It's interesting because what you just mentioned about this need to save souls or to save their own souls was actually reflected, or perhaps I should say the fear and the reality of that fear, perhaps, was actually reflected in a recent article in the New York Times. It was published on February 8th by Isabel Kirshner. And I'm going to quote from that article. She wrote that experts attribute the departures from the ultra-Orthodox community 
to a breakdown of supervision and routine, a rise in internet use during the pandemic, and generally more time for questioning and self-discovery. If they are not in their usual educational frameworks and are on the internet, meeting friends and going to the beach, that leads to a lot of exposure, said Gilad Malach, who directs the ultra-Orthodox program at the Israel Democracy Institute. They think of options they don't think of when they're in yeshiva, and one of the options is to leave. So admittedly, you and I will agree that that might be a very, very sad consequence, but doesn't it show that this Haredi mindset is actually in some ways correct? It is a problem, meaning if I am worried about saving souls, following the guidelines is actually going to hurt them. Yes, it, it does hurt them. There is no doubt about it, but that does not give them yet the permission to do what they do. I think there is something else coming along with that. I've written about that, and that is this. One needs to ask the question, why are you religious? What is the purpose behind this? Why do you keep the commandments? Now, I can tell you from my experience, and perhaps you have the same experience, is that many of them do not know how to answer that question. It is a simple question, but it is also a very profound question. What would you say if somebody says to you or tell me, why are you religious? I've tried this on quite a few Bachore Yeshiva, on Yeshiva Bachorim uh, students, and they look to me with big eyes and they say, we have never thought about this. So I say to them, but my dear friend, how many years have you been learning in Yeshiva? Four years, five years, I've learned this tractate and that tractate. And I say to them, and after all these years of learning and a simple question is being asked to you why you are doing all this, why you are religious, why you keep the commandments, and you don't know what to answer to that question. Don't you think there is something wrong about your Jewish education if even after five years of yeshiva learning? Now, here I come to what I believe is a crucial issue. And that is this, that the learning in yeshivot, and I've been my whole life been learning in yeshivot for more than 10 years. The problem here is, is that people no longer know what they are learning. I mean to say, what is the ideology behind it? What is the purpose and the meaning behind it? To me, it is very clear. Man is a meaning searching human being. We look for meaning in our lives. And what the Talmud, the Mishnah, or the Midrash, the Agadah, whatever it is, is teaching us how do we find meaning to our lives. And we do that in many different ways, but that's part of the ultimate goal of the Jewish tradition. But the problem is that it is not taught that way in the yeshiva world. They don't speak about the question, what is the meaning of life? If you ask that question, then they say, that's not a Jewish question to ask. I'm only asking one question, and it is, how do I keep the commandments? How do I observe the commandments? So the ultimate goal of why Jewish education is of such great importance, and it is to give us meaning to life. I mean by that existential meaning, higher meaning to life, that is left out of the very discussion. If you do that and you learn afterwards Talmud and you don't know what is there behind it, or better to say, you don't understand the music behind it, then much what you're learning is not learning properly, misreading it, misunderstanding it, because you believe that all what you need to do is to live by these commandments. And you never ask yourself, why do you have to live by these commandments? And don't come and tell me, God said so. 
Gold has his reasons. Haven't you ever thought about what these reasons may be? And the answer is that many of them don't know. I know this from experience. It's a tremendous tragedy that this happens. But in many ways, this is the fault of the teachers. I've even gone to teachers and asked them about it. Why is it that your students can't answer a question why they are religious? And they look to me with big eyes and then they say, to be quite honest, I also don't know. Right. <laughs> this really happens that is tragic, me. despite this the humor tragic. of the craziness of it. Yeah, This is absolutely tragic. Let me take that to the next level. Do you think that what's going on now in parts of the Haredi world, where perhaps, as this New York Times article argues and others have seen, people are starting to realize that there might be something missing in what they've been doing all this time, do you think that this might lead to a significant exodus from either the community or from the norms of the community? Or, Bezrat Hashem, when we get out of this situation, we'll look back and we'll simply be a blip on the radar and demographically it won't actually matter in the long term. Do you think that something big is happening or something small? Yes, I think it is big what is happening, but it may also bring about a turn in a different direction. And that is because people are now confronted with the corona crisis and with the enormous dangers involved that they are slowly going to ask, actually, why am I living? What is the purpose of life? And if that would become the main concern and the main focus within the yeshiva world, then perhaps if the teachers know how to do that, they could say, okay, let's have a look in this Talmud or that Talmud which discusses these matters. And that would perhaps be a very good thing because then suddenly they wake up and they say, oh, there's much more to this Jewish tradition than I am aware of. I must tell you something very interesting. I've been reading quite a few books of people who walked out, who went off the derech, right? In mainly in English, but also a few Hebrew. The reasons they give for walking out are extremely weak, basically. What they are saying is the kind of Jewish tradition I learned in school, in Yeshiva, in Beit Yaakov, doesn't respond to my spiritual needs. And what they did is, and that's where they made a huge mistake, they walked out on it. Instead, that they should have said, I'm going to search for it and I'm going to look somewhere else to see if there is an answer to that question. But they are not doing that. I've asked some of them, if you don't agree anymore with Haredi Judaism, why didn't you look into Datilumi, into modern Orthodox Judaism, or even conservative Judaism, or Reform Judaism? You walk out altogether. Do you really believe that I'm going to take you serious, that you have critique and be correct? on the Jewish tradition, when you didn't even look at all the other options, there's something wrong about it. And to be quite honest, I think there's also something dishonest about it. Because then mm-hmm. what becomes clear is that the reason why they walk out is not because they have any intellectual problem with the Jewish tradition. They just want to walk out because it is easier for them to live that kind of a lifestyle. Well, we won't go for that. What you're saying is so true. I, I know there are many people who've critiqued parts of the Haredi world, it might even be more acute in the Hasidic world, where they're taught that anything other than our small subsect is effectively the same as being a secular Jew. At that point, why would anyone consider going to become a Dati Lumi or modern Orthodox Jew or a conservative Jew or anything other than secular? Why not go all the way out? Because effectively it's been taught that it's all the same thing. That's an enormous tragedy. And that is the fault of the teachers and of the Rosh Yeshivot that they didn't show them, listen here, if this is not for you, there are many other options which you have 
could have come for, which are still within traditional Judaism, and you would find your place there. Not everybody is made to become a Haredi. Fine. Okay. But to walk out altogether, what kind of cheap way of doing this is all about? I, I don't buy for this. I don't buy into this. I definitely agree. There are people such as Alison Josephs of Jew in the City who started something called Project Makom, where she's trying to enable them to go to call it a halfway house, call it what you want, but it's effectively telling them there's something other than right. secular life. There are parts of Judaism that you can uh, be part of that will not have that which you rejected in them. Yeah. I want to go in a different direction to ask you something else about an argument which some have said, and which at least appears patently not to be true in this particular case, at least not on the surface, the argument that Talmud Torah protects. Obviously, this is an idea that goes back. It's most obviously spoken by the Nefesh Achayim in Shardalit. He describes how learning Torah will protect you in ways that, and of course, it goes back to the, the concept of Neturei Karta in its initial sense in the Gemara itself that Chazal mentioned. All that having been said, my question is, is how much leadership in the Haredi community actually believes this to be true. Let me just give a very quick story. I remember in 2014, when there was one of the wars we had between Israel and Gaza, and there was a yeshiva that was right near the Gaza border, and it moved up to where I am in Beit Shemesh, and it turned out at that point, or perhaps this was the year before, 2013, whichever it was, and they were protected here, and no one got hurt in Beit Shemesh, and people said afterwards it was almost comical, saying, see, the reason that Beit Shemesh was protected, no one was injured in Beit Shemesh, is because of this yeshiva. We moved there. The people learning Torah are the Iron Dome of Beit Shemesh. Of course, the absurdity of it is that they were near Gaza. They left because they didn't think they were safe. If they really felt they could protect, they should have stayed there and protected our soldiers. Obviously, this is a cynical ploy to say such a thing, except that people actually said it. Is this idea that Torah protects something which is actually believed, or is it just a line they throw out? I think they believe it, and they are now waking up that it doesn't work, because many of them who have been learning Torah got corona, the coronavirus which means to say that whatever the meaning of the statement by the rabbis is that Torah learning, which I also believe protects, doesn't mean to say that protects all the time and that we cannot read the mind of God and that he has his own reasons. And at this moment, it doesn't work. But we are hearing indeed, and even I think as far as the papers are concerned, Rav Kamenevsky has something, said something similar like that, that the Torah learning is of such great importance that that is what saves us. But by now we have been woken up and have seen very clearly that that is not the case. So do you want to continue to use that argument? Doesn't mean to say the argument is not true, but it is not always true. And therefore we have to be extremely careful. You mentioned earlier how when we describe the Haredi community on some level, I'm not really being fair. It is variegated. It is not uniform. There are many people within the Haredi community, some would argue most of the Haredi community, which is not violating the protocols at all. And therefore, when we describe this problem in, quote unquote, the Haredi world, we really mean a subset or a section of the Haredi world, not the entire thing. So I wanted to ask you if it's true, do you agree that we're really talking about a relatively small percentage of the total? Does this represent the Haredi mainstream? Or Perhaps we can say that even those who are following the protocols aren't doing enough within their own communities to convince their neighbors to follow them as well. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, it is indeed a small part of the Haredi community 
who makes this enormous mistake. The trouble obviously is, is that the media are focusing on them and they blow it up out of all proportion, which is very unfair on the side of the, let's call it the secular media. I don't like to use that word, but just for the sake of the argument, the fact mm -hmm. stays that this indeed is the case. The vast majority of Haredim keep to the rules which the government has required for us to uh, to look after and to make sure we uh, are, uh, you know, trying very hard to stay alive and to make sure that other people stay alive. But the problem, and I actually have written of the, about this, and that is that the truth about it is that, A, it is a very small amount of people who think like that. Secondly, is the fact that, after all, you know, the media are not fair on the larger Haredi community. And what is more important is that if they disagree, why then don't they, and perhaps the secular Jews, come with a solution for this problem? Let's be honest. If you have a three-room apartment in Bnei Barak and you have 10 kids at home, how are you going to live your life like that? So, yes. You want them to go to school or to cheder, whatever it is, and there is no solution to it. So what are we doing? We're sending them to cheder, making it worse, the whole situation. Media then jump on this, showing how bad it all is. And the truth about it is that also the seculars, together with the Haredi community, should sit together and say, okay, you have a problem. Three rooms, 10 children, how are we going to help each other to find a solution to that? And that has not happened. The communities are not speaking to each other and not helping each other enough in this respect. And I think that is a responsibility on both sides. The Haredi community, which is keeping to the laws, right, should say to those who are not keeping to the laws, why are you doing that? You're making us a bad name. You're making the Torah a bad name. You're making the yeshiva world a bad name. So let's sit down and find a way how we can solve that in a way that that does not happen. Is this easy? No, it is definitely far from easy. But this hasn't happened at all, as far as I know. And therefore, it makes it only worse. You need to help each other. Yeah, you can say to the secular Jew, have you ever tried 10 children at home in a three-room apartment? <laughs> yeah, let's speak again after you have, right? And that right. Has, has not happened, and that's the unfair side of it. But it is the ultra-Orthodox, the Haredi community, who should say to that smaller segment of the ultra-Orthodox community to say, let's sit down. We must find a, an, 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 a way to help you with your children, and that hasn't happened. And that means to say, as Heschel once said, we are perhaps not all guilty, but we are all responsible. And that's very mm. important. So speaking of our own responsibility, I'll critique what you and I are doing right now of Cardozo. Right now, you and I are talking about problems in certain segments of the Haredi community. But at least from what I know, most of the people who listen to my podcast are not the people who will be oh, I didn't realize I was doing things wrong. People in those sectors of the Haredi community are not listening to the Orthodox conundrum, as far as I know. Some people have told me as a result, having this kind of conversation, whether it's on the air, over Facebook, in articles, all it does is create more sinat chinam, more baseless hatred, because 
it allows those of us who feel a certain way to preach to the choir and the people who need to hear the message aren't listening anyway. So is there a purpose to our discussion today? Are we accomplishing anything or are we just making ourselves feel better by talking about it? No, I think there's definitely a purpose to it. And that is, first of all, there are people who may not admit that who are listening to what you and I am saying within that Haredi community. I can tell you that for sure. Okay. But, but the, the main <laughs> thing is what we really what we really should be doing is, and what we are not doing, or at least not enough doing, is to go to their leaders and to go to their Roshi Yeshivot and sit down with them, with great amount of uh, respect for them and say, this can't continue like that. You are the people who are the spokesman of this community, but you also have a tremendous influence on that community. So here are some ideas which we would like to bring to you in all respect, and perhaps you can somehow make your community aware of this. You may not be aware of it. They are not aware of it. So here we are. We are trying to help you out. That's basically what it is, because on the end of the day, we are one Jewish people. We are all people who believe in the Torah, and we need to help each other. And therefore, perhaps we are all, including myself, we are failing not to do enough of that. But I can tell you, Rabbi Scott, one thing I've learned is over the years, there are many from ultra-Orthodox people listening to what you are saying, but they will never admit it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'm glad to hear that, I suppose. I'm going to quote you to yourself right now. You wrote, I know that most Haredi leaders have instructed their followers to adhere to government regulations. I find it hard to believe that you stand behind behavior, you're speaking to Rav Chaim Kanievsky, that you stand behind behavior that violates the most fundamental values of Judaism to keep people alive and healthy, to serve God in righteousness, and to bring them closer to his service. So when you say that, you know that most Haredi leaders have instructed their followers to adhere to the guidelines. I hope that's true and may very well be true. But I do wonder, and by leaders, I include both rabbis and politicians. I do wonder whether those who believe this have been vocal enough. There are some who certainly have been. There are some Hasidic Rebbe's and Haredi leaders who have been very, very vocal in their requirement and their demand that their followers adhere to guidelines. It seems to me, perhaps anecdotally, that there are many who agree with it, but they keep things quiet. And I include a fair number of politicians from the Haredi parties in this who just don't say and don't speak up and have, in my opinion, demonstrated an abdication of any sort of leadership quality. Do you think that's true? Do you think that leaders have to be more vocal or is it more a matter of convincing them that this is serious? Oh, they have to be much more vocal. The problem with them is that they're looking over their shoulders what their colleagues are saying about them and therefore they keep quiet, right? So therefore, this whole community does not really say what it really thinks. So it is perhaps our obligation to make them more aware of it. But I think it is a matter of daring, of having the courage to stand up and to say, this won't work. And if that needs to be done to the greatest of the greatest, then it needs to be done. And that is indeed the case with the ultra-Orthodox community, and perhaps there's other communities as well, and it is that all of them are basically looking over their shoulders and they are scared because they don't want to bring their own status within these communities into danger. And that is an, a weakness. Many people have that weakness, let's be honest. 
by which they now create an enormous problem because they should have stood up very clearly and say very clearly, I do not agree, this is wrong. One of the people who have been doing that is uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Osher Weiss uh, in Yerushalayim, right. who has been very focal about all this. He does that in a very nice way. And I do not always agree with everything what he says, but the fact is that he, he shows courage. He's prepared to say it. He does it respectfully. But he said also something like, it is not a matter of elu elu elokim chayim. No, there is something wrong here. And we better clear this up and make sure that that does not happen. And that is the only way how to do that. But obviously the politicians have political reasons why. And the Rosh Hashivot, they are scared about what their friends who are also Rosh Hashivot are saying about them. How do you dare to stand up against Rav Kanievsky? Now, first of all, I'm not so sure that Rav Kanievsky says all the things we hear in his name. He is, he is surrounded by I don't know what. But right, that's a different of issue, people, of course. There's a whole different issue there. So we don't even know what he really says and what he really uh, felt about certain things. So we have to be careful about it. And that's the reason why I wrote this letter in a careful way, because I really don't know what he is saying. But the fact is that we should at least say, in case Rabbi Kanievsky is saying this, which we don't believe, we strongly object. And we are not doing that. Yeah, the leadership vacuum is very, very upsetting. I'll also mention Rav Herschel Schachter from the United States, Lita. He's also been very, very vocal about the problems, yeah. and perhaps it is easier in the United States, but perhaps not, as well as others, of course. This is not a problem that everyone, all rabbis are having. Of course, there are many who have been very, very good about it. Sure. Let me ask why you think, if you do think, perhaps you'll, you won't agree with me, it seems to me at least that it's even a bigger problem, this lack of leadership regarding the coronavirus in the Hasidic communities, even more than the mainstream Haredi communities. It seems to me that the Hasidic sects, with exceptions, of course, have been perhaps even more willing to ignore protocols, ignore the government. Why do you think that's so, or do you think that it's so at all? Mainly because most of their uh, leaders have not been speaking up. The, the, the Hasidic rebbe is considered to be the shaliach of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and if he does right. not speak up, then we don't have any, any right to speak up. And therefore, we keep quiet because we don't dare to challenge his authority. But that is a very non-Jewish idea, basically. I can tell you something else. I, I believe, Dafka, that within the Hasidic world, I mean, in the original, authentic Hasidic world, if you read what these great Hasidic rabbis wrote a hundred years ago, you fall from your chair because they dare to write things there, which I don't think anybody dares to say today, <laughs> because they were very independent thinkers. But this has lost, been lost on this community. And I don't think that there are, are any real Hasidim around anymore. You know, they tell the story about the Satma Rebbe that once they, he came into the Beit Midrash and he says, I have a great piece of information. There are no misnakdim anymore. Those who oppose Hasidut. So they said, oh, great, Baruch Hashem. He says, you don't understand. The reason why there are no misnakdim anymore is because there are no Hasidim anymore. <laughs> and that is absolutely true. The Hasidut of today is not the original, authentic form of Hasidut, which Dafka, Mr. Baal Shem Tov, stood up and protested. And now they became all mainstream and uh, nobody dares to challenge the rabbi anymore, which is a very un-Jewish idea. 
And perhaps that's a topic we can have for a future discussion because it's something which has bothered me and I've thought about a lot as well. A friend of mine once mentioned, Tamid uh, Chacham, that it's a good thing that people in the Haredi world don't read Rav Cook because they think they don't like Rav Cook because he's a Sioni, he's a Zionist. If they actually read what he wrote, they really wouldn't like him. They just don't even know it's there. <laughs> Rav Cook is so unbelievably great. Without saying that one has to agree with everything, but he dared and he paid the price for it. But that's when you are a leader, you are must be prepared to pay the price. Rob Cardozo, as we're running out of time, let me ask you if there are those people that you say really are listening to us discuss right now and talk about what's going on, what would you advise them? Somebody who is in a Haredi community and who's bothered by what's going on, perhaps he's thinking of leaving, perhaps not. What kind of advice would you give to that person? What do you want him to do? Rediscover the Jewish tradition once more on your own. You can't be religious because your parents were religious. You have to go and discover it on your own by reading all sorts of works and books written by so many fantastic people so that you suddenly start to realize how beautiful, how important and how deep that particular tradition is. And when you get inspired, and here we come to a very important word, inspiration, the very fact that you live with passion about it, then you will suddenly find out that it is very different from what you thought it was. And once you live that way and you show that to your children at home in the way how you live your Jewish life and your, your honesty about it, you can actually educate a whole new generation. Albert Schweitzer was once asked, the famous Albert, non-Jewish Albert Schweitzer was once asked, what are the, the three most important educational criteria for a parent to know? So he said, indeed, there are three. To be an example, to be an example, and to be an example. And that's <laughs> what it is. Well, Harav Nathan Lopez Cardozo, you serve as an example for all of us. And it is an honor once again, this is not our first time talking, it is an honor once again to have you on the podcast. And I thank you very much for your insights and for joining me today. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. May we hear better times. Thanks for joining me today. Please subscribe to the Orthodox Conundrum podcast, share and tell your friends about it, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the word out. Join the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook and like and follow the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook. Visit jewishcoffeehouse.com to find some of the best podcasts in the Jewish world, including Chochmat Ashim, Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, The Francisca Show, Let My People Eat, and more. Please also join the Jewish Coffeehouse team as a Patreon subscriber. Patreon subscribers get great bonus podcasts, excellent merch, and more, while helping Jewish Coffeehouse to reach our growing audience. You can find a link to Patreon in the description of the podcast. Finally, if you are interested in having your own podcast, Jewish Coffeehouse can help make it happen. We will assist you with anything you need. We can teach you the skills to make a podcast that sounds as good as an FM radio show. We can help you with recording, editing, music, graphic art, promotion, and more. We can give you tips on podcast styles, interviewing hosts, guests, and everything else you need to make your podcast the best it can be. Whatever you need, Jewish Coffee House will work with you to make it happen and make it better than you imagined. Last week, I gave a free one-hour class on how to get your podcast started. If you would like the link to the video of the class, write to me at scott, S-C-O-T-T, at jewishcoffeehouse.com, and let me help you get started reaching hundreds or even thousands of people with a high-quality podcast. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Thank you.